welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher, and we are going to dive right in today because we have a lot of ground to cover. So today I'm joined by Carly Watson, who is a anti-diet culture advocate with uh with a really remarkable story to tell and I'm and I'm really excited to get into this with her because it's a topic that comes up a lot in mental health discussions and one that I feel isn't discussed nearly enough given how far reaching um and relatively common eating disorders are and how pervasive the concept of diet culture is in our society so so I'm really excited to hear from someone who has experienced this firsthand and has a bit of knowledge and a perspective to shed some light onto this. So Carly, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to talk all things diet culture. <laughs> I am excited as well. That's great. Um, so why don't we why don't we get right into it? And I want to start with you personally, uh, Carly. Because I think it's important to get that that baseline of the the personal story behind advocacy like yours. So I'm gonna give you the floor. Uh, tell us about your your journey and how your passion for speaking out against diet culture came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I have to say, like, there's so many complex layers to my story in particular, and honestly, a lot of people struggling with mental illness surrounding eating disorders as well, too. So I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. <laughs> There's a lot of um, chapters there. But um, essentially, um, I, I come from a place of childhood sexual trauma. Um, I'm very open talking about it now, whereas I never used to be. It was a very shameful thing for me for a long time. But I strongly believe in speaking on it because it helps break down the stigma and it helps feel people experiencing that as well to feel a little bit more comfortable opening up. So um, essentially, my traumas come from about six to 10 years old, I'd say, um, which is when I first kind of started getting into my eating disorder and using it as a coping mechanism and a survival mechanism for myself during that period of time. Um, so it's, it's really hard, I think, for people to hear, um, you know, six years old and dieting and eating disorders. I think that is really shocking for a lot of people. Um, but what you really have to understand is it's a coping mechanism and it's a way to dissociate. So um, that was my, my survival mechanism. <laughs> um, but eating disorders are such a complex layered thing. Um, I had anorexia, which had turned into bulimia, um, which came along with body dysmorphia, um, later set on orthorexia and all these fun other things like depression, anxiety. And then of course I had my PTSD on top of what was going on as well. Um, so those are kind of like my main areas of mental illness. Um, so in my younger years, I don't have a lot of what I remember. Um, my childhood is bits and pieces of what I can remember. And 
they're the good, the good moments of what I remember. However, I do remember my first experience with um, bulimia and that was kind of where things kind of went downhill for me. Um, so I've been bulimic my entire life uh, with the exception of the last five years that I've taken to seriously buckle down and recover. Um, but essentially all through my school years, um, I was fully indulged in an eating disorder and I had no idea that I was, even though it's like a very physical thing that I'm doing and I'm connected with, I never looked at it as I was sick enough for some reason. And um, I think that's a, a big stigma in itself is there is no sick enough, um, especially when it comes to mental illness. So I hid in my eating disorder for a long, long time. Nobody had any idea that it was going on. Um, I did open up to my parents about it in my early 20s. Um, and at that point, I wanted to do things healthy. I wanted to lose weight the healthy way. And this is when I introduced the fitness industry into my life. Um, now, I hired trainers around, I can't remember, I was probably about 22. Um, I was pretty young still. And I hired these personal trainers to kind of guide me on what I should eat, how I should work out. And um, essentially, that kind of brought me into a world that had heightened my eating disorder. And I, I couldn't believe how how much it truly snowballed it into something completely worse. <laughs> um, you know, I laugh about it now, but <laughs> um, yeah, it, the fitness, the fitness industry in itself, like um, there's a really good side to it. And then there's a really bad side to it. So essentially what comes into play here is um, I was tracking all my food. I was eating only what I was told to eat. And I was doing every workout that I was told to do um, seven days a week. And um, even though my trainers were granting me, I say granting me loosely, um, a cheat day every week, um, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with cheat days, um, I would still go and binge and purge on those cheat days because I didn't want to um, affect my success or my um, progress that I had made with any sort of weight loss or uh, fitness goals, which is really sad to think about. Um, and essentially, it just it became really bad for me. And it got out of control very fast without me even really knowing it. Because essentially, I was throwing the label of health and wellness and fitness on top of what was my eating disorder and what was a heightened eating disorder. So a lot of these things that we do, um, that we claim are healthy and claim are just fitness, um, essentially are little bits and pieces of disordered eating or disordered habits in that sense. So um, I was introduced to fitness competitions by those trainers. Um, I competed <laughs> in fitness and did fitness modeling for a number of years. And essentially, people just told me how great I looked. Um, they asked me for advice <laughs> and all this time, like I was struggling very deeply in my eating disorder. So once I kind of came out of competitions and uh, 
it's this thing called post competition blues. Um, it's basically where you start to gain weight back, but you really like, no matter how much you try to prepare yourself for that, like you can never be prepared for that, um, emotional, like toll that it's taking on you. And so, um, it's, yeah, it was quite, um, a brutal, uh, reality for me. Um, even though I knew I would never be in that body full time, it was still absolutely devastating to me. Um, that I was gaining weight back and essentially a lot of people don't realize like with restriction comes binge. Um, so a lot of people who are like, um, saying like, Oh, I binge on this food or binge on this food. It's because you're restricting yourself from that food. You're not allowing yourself to have like a safe, safe relationship with that food anyways. So, um, after, after this competition and after my post competition blues, I took a step into what's called flexible dieting, or some people know it as if it fits your macros, which used to be quite popular uh, a number of years ago, um, which is basically, it's a diet with a bow on it that claims it's not a diet, but it is a diet. <laughs> you're still tracking everything that you're eating um, and counting your calories. And um, essentially it was a good step out of where I was, but, and that was kind of like, my step towards recovery, I'd say that was my first stepping stone. Um, even though I was so fully indulged in it, it just allowed me to reintroduce foods that I was afraid of. However, it was a very scary thing for me. But um, along with that, I just I eventually um, got to the point where I was just I was so sick that I knew I needed help. And so I went to my doctor and I had a discussion with him and I was like, look, I have an eating disorder. I know I may not look like I have an eating disorder because a lot of people associate, you know, weight bias and weight stigma with eating disorders, unfortunately, including medical doctors. And um, I basically asked him, I was like, you know, I don't know what to do, but it's either my eating disorder is going to take me or I'm going to take myself because of my eating disorder and I need help and I need serious help. And um, he was like, great, let's, um, let's get you enrolled um, or I'll write a recommendation letter so that you can um, be enrolled with a U of A eating disorder um, clinic. So he did that and I was in contact with the U of A for, this would have been probably three months um, back and forth with them. Um, and you know what, like, I partially don't blame the medical system. I feel like it's it's very skewed and I think there's not enough education surrounding eating disorders uh, and weight bias and weight stigma to truly, uh, for them to be capable to do what they need to do to help people fully. Um, they do great work, but in, in my case, I was a very straight size. I still am a straight size, uh, normal, healthy, looking outside appearance person. Um, and essentially it, it came down to them asking for my weight and I never heard from them again. I like, I never heard from them again. And I, I reached out to them a number of times. And at that point, like, um, I was in one of the deepest depressions that I had been in. And, um, it really pains me to think back to that because I was begging for help. 
Um, and because I didn't look like I had an eating disorder or I didn't have the weight um, range that you kind of like needed to be in to get immediate help, I wasn't getting help at all. Um, I didn't even, you know, like I could understand if they didn't have a bed for me and they needed somebody else who was very sick, completely understandable, but I literally like resources, something like give me anything that I can do that, you know, I can help myself. And I, I didn't get any of that support. And, um, I knew at that point it was like, I either take this and pivot it and just build strength on being my own advocate and finding the help that I need or I'm out, you know, and it was really hard because that was definitely one of the deepest depressions that I, I had been in at that time. And, um, I feel very fortunate that I was able to, um, work with the support that I had at the time to back away from, uh, the edge of things for myself. Um, and that's kind of when I started my first blog, which was the honest fit girl. And I have to say, like, the things that I wrote even back then are definitely not fully correct. And I was still in a, a, a point of learning and unlearning what diet culture was. But that was kind of a pivotal moment for me of writing out my feelings, sharing them with the world and sharing them with the fitness community and being like, this is not OK. <laughs> These things are not OK. Um, and there's people out there that need help. And that that was kind of my own type of therapy for me was writing this blog and putting these things out there that were a little controversial at the time which is funny looking back they're not so controversial now um i think the things i speak on now are definitely a little controversial to some people but um it was what i needed to do to survive um it was what i needed to do to help pivot my coping mechanisms into writing and as much as um, I was still in my eating disorder at that time, it started to slow up. Um, I deleted my fitness pal, which is a calorie tracking app. I threw out my scale and I, I just had this moment of, I need to do this because if I don't, I will not survive my eating disorder either way. And um there was a few, quite a few times where uh, it definitely could have taken my life. Um, and I'm just really like, I know looking back, like I'm, I'm really proud of where I was and where I am today. Um, there's been a ton of learning and unlearning and I have a ton of um, really wonderful creators behind that. Um, you know, like social media can be such a, nasty beast in some ways but i really feel like the creators that were out there at that time truly were like a support system for me to feel safe in the decision that i was making to exit uh, my eating disorder and educate myself on diet culture and the harms of diet culture and what it harbors which is racism oppression and fat phobia and it really showed me all like the full spectrum of what it looks like in terms of, you know, eating disorders and um, 
the toxic side of fitness um, and diet culture as a whole. It's um, a multifaceted, multi-layered thing. Um, so it's very complex, but um, we just see the surface level where, you know, we're judging people by their size based on their size and their health. Um, just simple things like that. And it, it really is truly astounding to me to like look back now of how far I've come and what I've learned. And um, I always tell myself um, everything that I post is everything that I ever needed to see when I was in those really hard and dark moments in my eating disorder. So if I can say that I'm helping at least one person um, recognize what's happening to them, um, then I, I feel like I've done my job. And um, that's, I just, I really feel like the work is so important because a lot of people don't recognize um, the complexity behind it and like the layers behind it and just how harmful it is to not only yourself, but your loved ones, especially your marginalized body, friends and family. So that's kind of the Coles notes. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the deep dive that I wanted to take here. Uh, that was perfect. And now, um, like as we're recording this, I can see you and you can see me, but our, uh, our listeners cannot. And, uh, but I think the gravity and the conviction in your voice is, is coming through regardless, but I, I can see what it means to you. Um, to share this story and to relive those events. And it is incredibly powerful. And when you mentioned uh, disassociation, um, when you talk about this and what you went through, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you, you have to sort of take a step back from that person to share this part of you. And there's, there's so much I want to expand on from here, uh, from what you just told me. Um, all right, let's, let's go back to when you were six, uh, six and seven years old, because many of my listeners are parents and they may have, you know, children around that age. But if you're able to remember back that far, how, how did it manifest itself? Like kids are so impressionable. And the first place that my mind went was who, like who you were looking up to and being influenced by, like who who in your life may have been inadvertently shaping your body image? Like, do you, do you remember being influenced um, like that early on? Yeah. You know what? There, there are those outside influences as well. Um, I think it's really important to note um, eating disorders are a very like serious mental illness. And almost all of the time, like it comes from some sort of rooted trauma, whether that be, you know, sexual assault, or even like a car wreck, something like that. Um, it's a sort of mental illness to help you feel in control. So it's a survival mechanism. Um, but um, essentially, like I know, for sure, like a good portion of it had come from that trauma that I experienced. Um, but also in saying that, you know, some of my early memories of hearing um, my mom and her friends talking about Weight Watchers, you know, that sort of thing that, you know, kids are so 
so impressionable. And like, I don't think, you know, I'm not a parent myself, but I do have nieces and nephews, but you, you notice that they pick up on things that you would have never even thought of. Um, so I think it's a really important thing to note. like your kids are always watching. Um, your kids are always listening. And, you know, if you're cutting up a cucumber and, um, they ask you like, well, can we have crackers? And you're like, no, got to have cucumber because cucumber has no calories. You know, it's like little things like that, that stick with kids. And then it's in the back of their mind and they question why. And then if you're, you know, talking negatively about your self image in front of them or even to your friends and not directly to your children, they are aware and they see these things. And, um, I think it's a, a huge issue. Um, you know, I put out this questionnaire on my Instagram a couple weeks ago of what was your earliest memory of being introduced to diet culture? And I swear to God, it was like 90% of people answered it was their mom going on a diet or on Weight Watchers or having negative self imagery not directly, but indirectly. And um, it's, it's truly fascinating to see that kids pick up on that. And I definitely think I did pick up on that when I was younger. Um, like I said, my mom and her friends are on Weight Watchers or whatever. And even though like my mom's not talking directly to me, I can see it. I can see everything that's going on and that you're counting points of whatever food it is. Um, and you know what, like, I don't, I don't blame my mom, like, and I don't blame any of the parents out there that are experiencing that because they are victims of diet culture, just like I was, just like how so many people in this world are. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just really good to know that your kids are very aware of how you talk about foods, the relationship that you have with foods and yourself and your body and your, your attachment to worth and your size. Um, it's, it's noticeable when you're a kid even though you wouldn't think a kid would think of something like that, you know? As soon as you said Weight Watchers, I thought of the plastic scale that my mom used to have in the kitchen that she would weigh chicken on with the little red dial. So I think, I think I'd be part of the 90% of your uh, Instagram there. I think I saw that post actually. Um, and we're going to talk about social media a bit later as well, because you actually, you work in social media, um, but you take that, that superpower, that skill, and you use it for good. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, I want to stick with, uh, I want to stick with sort of progressing through the different ages that this affects. Uh, now, um, I want to share something with you. So when I was a kid, my mom did Weight Watchers and I remember, uh, the points book. I remember shopping trips were kind of based around what certain foods were, uh, quote unquote worth. And, um, wh what you just said brought back like a flood of memories for me and not, not in a bad way. Uh, but just sort of that aha moment where I realized that, yes, um, we were actually sort of introduced to this culture at, at a very young age. Now, um, as a, as a guy, as a man, um, coming at this from, from a guy's perspective, there were, um, there were maybe some of the same, but also some different pressures put on me and how my body image was supposed to be. 
and my relationship with food. So I was, um, I was pretty athletic. Uh, I was active growing up. I played hockey for many years, uh, soccer for many years, uh, some baseball, some volleyball, uh, lacrosse, uh, a little bit of football. Uh, but I was a super skinny kid and like I was bullied. Um, I was bullied for it a lot. Actually, I had, I had knobby knees and skinny arms and I'd wear big baggy clothes to, to hide them. And I, I hated change rooms. Um, and I was at that age, that, that impressionable age in those formative years where I felt a lot of pressure to to build muscle, to, to have biceps and to have strong legs. And I mean, I was young. So, all right. I, so I kind of see this discussion as having two major paths that, that run parallel and then, and then merge at times. And that's the, the food, like your relationship with the food on one side and the body image, um, portion of it on the other. So I want to explore the body image side a bit first. Um, so for like, for, for a teenage girl, and I mean, just like culturally, you can see how much pressure there is on girls and young women and how they're expected to look and feel about themselves. So Carly, do you like, do you have any advice or some insight into how teens or the parents of teens can become more aware or more vigilant of this type of cultural pressure? There is a lot of advice I could give. You know, um, I, <laughs> I think first and foremost, um, it, it comes down to um, good impressions um, in terms of the adults around those children. Um, of course, like, dieting and negative self imagery is a huge one. So the ways that we can really truly avoid that, um, I have tons of really great um, books and articles and podcasts that you can listen to that really explain um, in depth how diet culture totally like revolves around this entire encapsulated idea. So um, essentially like um, labeling foods is good and bad, like that alone completely changes the relationship of food and a person um, in every facet, because food, food is our life. Let's be honest, like that keeps us alive. And so um, essentially not labeling foods as good or bad, um, not forcing food on your kids. I think that's a really big one that a lot of people don't really see eye to eye with me on. But um, I've had this discussion actually with friends of mine who, you know, they, um, they sit their kids down for dinner and they're like, okay, you go ahead and eat. Um, if they're not going to eat, they're not going to eat. And then they'll come back to it, whatever it may be. And it may seem like it's uh, a lot harder to do it that way. But essentially it teaches kids like to listen to their intuitive hunger cues, which is so important because when it comes to things like restriction and dieting, we completely lose sight. And the idea of our hunger cues, we don't know what our body needs or what our body wants when we're constantly restricting. We're just working against what our body is trying to help us with, which is stay alive. <laughs> um, so yeah, like it's, it's funny. So 
dieting is famine. Our body does not know the difference, if that's a good way to put it. So um, anyways, it's just setting like a good example for your kids. I know a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion of healthy eating and what healthy eating is. Healthy eating is having a healthy relationship with all foods. That includes chips. That includes pop. That in like includes everything under the sun, salad, veggies, uh, you name it, right? So it's allowing ourselves to let go of that idea and be able to listen to our intuitive nature of what we need. Because the less we restrict, the less that we're obsessive over foods. Um, so like, in sense, like if you're a parent and you're saying, oh, um, your kid picks up like a bag of Doritos or something and you tell them, oh, we can't have that in the house. I can't have that in the house because it'll all be gone or I can't control myself around food. That is attaching the idea of that food being like taboo, right? So the more we restrict the things that we truly want to have, the more we want it and the more likely we're going to overindulge and binge on that food because we're restricting. And, um, yeah, it's just attaching these stigmas to food. And um, essentially, it comes down to internalized fat phobia, because we're all so scared of being fat or getting fat or fat in general, um, which is a root rooted um, item of diet culture is fat phobia. So yeah, it's, um, <laughs> I'd say just steer clear of labeling foods uh, as good or bad. Um, steer clear of, you know, like new nutrition label checking, if that makes sense. So um, it's just these kind of like obsessive natures that we have around monitoring food. Um, it's different when it comes to, you know, like allergies or intolerances, that sort of thing. But ideally, if you want your children to have a healthy relationship with their body, their mind and food, you need to let go of this idea that health is surrounded by all of those things because it's not. <laughs> yeah, I can, you know, I can imagine you probably get a lot of pushback on some of these ideas um, because, because they make, they, they make sense, but intuitively and kind of the way we were brought up with the food pyramid and, and the, you know, food guidelines and stuff like that, that it's, it sounds completely counterintuitive as well. Right. I mean, we were raised to have, you know, food, food groups and everything. So I, without playing at devil's advocate, like too hard, um, how do you, how do you justify the fact that like all of these delicious, tasty cholesterol laden foods? Um, I, I mean, like I want like nine cheeseburgers just cause they taste good. Right. I know, I know that my heart, like my doctor would say, like, that's probably not good for my heart or my cholesterol, um, or my sodium intake. So I guess where's, where's the middle ground? Because I, you're not advocating for all or nothing because it was that mentality that kind of got you into like a toxic diet culture realm. Right. Um, so how do you, how, I guess, how do you get to the mindset where you're okay with with some junk food, but you're still taking care of your body because I, I'm a little bit confused. I'm not sure how to, how to justify it. So where's, where's the middle ground? So, um, this is a really good question. I'm really glad that you brought it up because I think this is kind of what defines, um, intuitive eating. So 
again, it's listening to our body's natural hunger cues and what we want in that moment. In saying that, um, for somebody who, you know, like I say restriction, but restriction is literally like, I want a chocolate bar, but I'm not going to have that. I'm going to go have an apple instead. Um, you are going to have that chocolate within a week or in a month because you are ignoring those hunger cues and restricting because restriction leads to binge. So when I talk about diet culture and I talk about intuitive eating and letting go and giving into those hunger cues and those cravings, um, I think a lot of people jump the gun and assume that, like you just said, um, well, I'm going to have nine cheeseburgers. That's not good for me. And in saying that, no, of course, but in saying that, when you go into intuitive eating, sorry, pardon me, when you go into intuitive eating, you're allowing yourself to have these foods freely without any guilt associated or attached to them. And if you've been restricting and dieting on, on dieting cycles for years, it's going to take work to get to a stable condition and a stable relationship with food. So there is going to be moments where you're binging on, you want chocolate ice cream, you haven't had chocolate ice cream in 10 years, you're going to have a lot of it. And it's going to feel like really scary and it's going to feel really unsafe and uncomfortable, but essentially you get past those points and before you know it, like you don't even want chocolate ice cream. You don't like chocolate ice cream. It's literally this mentality that we have of like obsessing about this junk food because we're labeling such a, a bad label on it. Um, when essentially like when we let go and give in, we are going to level out eventually. It's not going to be this binge, like frenzy for the rest of your life, you know, unless you have something that is diagnosed as binge eating disorder, that's not going to happen. You're, you're literally going to level out. You're going to have days where you're like, yeah, like I really want a salad or I really want a burger or I really want to have a smoothie. You know what I mean? Like the most important thing is like you, once you give up that restriction, you break that toxic relationship that you have with that food um, or that relationship that you have that with that food. So you're going to have a healthier relationship with food, all food, because all food serves a purpose, you know, like whether it's ice cream, it's going to be good for your mentality and good for your soul. And I think a lot of people need to be aware that like emotional eating is okay. It's not a bad thing, you know, like we're allowed to, to do that. But because will associate these bad labels on food, we feel like this is a bad thing and that we're doing bad for our bodies. And um, yeah, so essentially, like, of course, eating, you know, nine cheeseburgers every day for the rest of your life, it's probably not going to be very good for you. But in saying that what intuitive eating is, is letting go of those food rules and having food freedom so that you can have what you want with no guilt associated to it. You don't have to second guess yourself and you're allowed to just enjoy yourself and nurture your body and your mind at the same time. And you, you feed your soul, but you're also feeding like your health in that way too, because you're allowing yourself to have an open relationship and be able to not feel unsafe or uncomfortable around foods. Like, um, a good example is, um, 
I love chocolate almonds. Like chocolate almonds is my kryptonite. <laughs> like the Kirkland, Kirkland giant bag of chocolate almonds. Like I am there in a second. It's like twenty dollars. I'm there. <laughs> so yeah. So you know, back in the day when I was really struggling with my eating disorder, I used to hoard candy that I would never eat which is like a weird, it's a weird concept to kind of understand. Um, I would also like scroll through Pinterest desserts just to like see them, just to imagine what, what it would be like to have that. Yeah. And so back then I like the, the candy that I had in my house, like I kept it stored away and I would like forget about it or try to forget about it. Um, but I would end up binging on it eventually and so now I, you know, like it's taken me a little bit, but I'm a, like, I'm okay having chocolate almonds in the house and they don't all get eaten right away. You know, I'll go and I'll have a couple and then it's like a week later and I haven't had any, you know, and it's just like, it's breaking down that wall of like obsessiveness around certain foods and putting labels on foods. Cause again, like your relationship is not going to be like that binging like people assume it is it will be for certain things um for a short period of time and that's okay that's the process of it all and i think that scares people um but it essentially leads to a much healthier relationship surrounding food for sure all right this marks the end of part one of my conversation with carly watson on diet culture and eating disorders so make sure to check out part two because it is just getting good i will see you there